Hello and welcome viewer friends. I'm Kira, and today I'll be recapping the events of Married at First Sight UK episode 9. The action kicks off with our couples all discussing the madness of the commitment ceremony. Josh and Amy, who is wearing a pair of comically oversized glasses, seriously she looks like she borrowed them from a 95 year old Hollywood movie producer, are still shaken. Well not Josh, who to be fair is the model of Tam. Everyone is just back from honeymoon and it's all bleep. Has anyone else noticed that the swear censoring is very inconsistent in this show? I'm curious. Does anyone have any idea why this may be? Get in touch. Mel appears and tells us that once more the experiment has reached a critical point. Two couples have split and one have had an infidelity scandal. She says this will force all of the couples to evaluate the sanctity of their vows. There's a cut to a topless Adam and a top on Taya in bed. He is so swole. He looks like someone took a pump and inflated him like a bouncy castle. We also see Frank and Mar sitting on the roof enjoying a plate of tiny tomatoes. We need to stay positive, she tells him, otherwise this negativity will drag us down. Frankie, for his part, is doing his best blue steel into the middle distance. Outside the apartments, we see that Matt and Dan finally have arrived a week late. The flight was delayed by Hurricane Keita, no doubt. They are all smiles. There's even some lap sitting. So I think we can say that things have gone well for them. Matt tells the camera that he's nervous about living together because it's just going to test the couple. There's one weird thing though. Their wedding picture is in black and white. Aren't all the other ones in colour? So strange. Elsewhere, Bob is lying on the couch like a deflated balloon. Last night was one of the worst days of my life. I felt massively embarrassed, degraded, felt like I wasn't wanted, says Bob's voiceover as we see him sadly flicking through pictures of Megan on his phone. Megan is lying in bed looking at her wedding picture. The way Bob dealt with last night was the most attractive thing I've seen him do in the process. He was absolutely vulnerable, raw, but assertive and dignified. I'm feeling very much in the wrong now. So now she likes Bob. If it's real, I don't blame her. Because Bob's behaviour at the commitment ceremony after finding out about the illicit smooching between George Gone and Megan was, after his initial shock subsided, exemplary. It was emotionally authentic and utterly civilised. Bob is, in this regard at least, the very opposite of toxic masculinity. Meg says that she'll continue to seek forgiveness from Bob and she hopes the pair can salvage some form of a relationship. We see Bob and Meg having a tentative chat on the bed. Both are cradling mugs for emotional support. Megan straight off admits that what she did was a huge lapse in judgment. Bob asks Meg plainly, where do I stand? I do care. We can either let this destroy us or let this be the start of something different, she says. Bob says that in spite of everything, there's still a part of him that wants to hold on for dear life. I do feel like you're a special person, he says. Oh, Bob. I'm calling it now. Their couple's name is Megan. I wonder if Meg is being entirely honest here. I don't think she has changed in her attitude around fancying Bob, but I do suspect that seeing Bob's courage in the face of humiliation and heartbreak has made her feel guilty, and now she wants to make it up to him. And what would make him happiest? A relationship with her. And so here we are, with Meg doing a complete about-face on wanting to pursue a relationship with Bob. And a relationship born of guilt can only end in disaster. If we know one thing, it's that no matter how much you may want to, you either fancy someone or you don't. 
The couples all receive mysterious gold envelopes. Mel's voiceover tells us that this task will challenge the couples to compromise and accept each other's routines. That's right, couples, says the letter inside the envelope. It's yes week. Time for the controlling partner to lose control and the other partner to go mad with power. We find out which of the partners are going to be in control this week. Josh, Morag, Mar, Adam, Dan. Adam tells Taya that there will be early mornings and cold showers. Aha. Maybe he's not really muscular, he's just swollen from hypothermia. Morag tells Luke that she really thought he would be the one in control this week. So did I, Morag, seeing as how the format is designed to provoke maximum conflict, and so usually the dominant partner gets weak too. Elsewhere, Josh is making Amy a healthy smoothie full of stuff she absolutely hates. He is delighted about Yes Week. Since I've known Amy, she's talked a big talk about fitness and nutrition, but I've not seen too much of that side of her. Ha! <laughs> Get ready for a week of green smoothies and non-stop burpees, Amy. Josh threatens to put an egg in it and Amy throws a shoe at him. He settles for boiling the egg. She tells the camera that she is dreading Yes Week. Up until now, Amy has been mostly in control, says Josh. I've been waiting for this moment since our wedding day. Josh's gourmet health elixir apparently takes too long for Amy's liking and she starts to throw a strop, trying to take bits of green stuff out of the drink. Josh tells her she's being childish and she calls him a twat. Amy's voiceover tells us that Josh is doing everything to wind her up and she attributes his, this to his age. Now hold up, I admit that I judged Josh as being an immature idiot right off the bat, but in every single episode since then, he's done something to impress me. He's calm. He isn't rude in his argument style and just seems like an all right fella. At the table, Amy tries to drink the shake with the top off. Josh insists that she keep the lid on, no doubt so she doesn't see the celery chunks, and she insists that he fuck off and let her drink it how she likes. There's a tussle over the beaker and Josh leaves the room to give Amy time to drink her celery shake in peace. Over in Tadams, the alarm says 6am and it's time for a cold shower. Taya toughs it out gamely. Elsewhere, Dan has decided that he and Matt will be doing a bit of sea swimming. Matt asks Alexa how cold it is and find out, finds out that it's 10 degrees in Brighton, which is apparently where they're filming. Say goodbye to your testes now, friend. The pair head to the beach and wade into the murky looking water. The pair splash and laugh and have a gay old time indeed. While some relationships are deepening, says the voiceover, a new one is looking to begin. We see a shot of an unfamiliar building. And who is inside brushing her hair? Only Alexis. Yes. I know where this is heading, but still. My marriage has ended, but I don't want to give up. And there is another guy who has been on my mind. We see footage of her spicy flirt fest with Aunt at the dinner party. And we see the pair chat on the phone. Both admit to fancying each other and wanting to explore their connection further. Elsewhere, Taya is sharing a glass of wine with Bestie Megan. I've never felt so bad in my life. Obviously, I regret that, says Megan. Mistakes happen, and how you choose to deal with them defines your character. Megan is very fond of these sort of motivational sentiments. Like, she says the right words, but they sort of ring a little hollow. Where is she at, really? That's what this viewer wants to know. It's not been the best of starts for you guys, says Taya. But not every love story has a good start. No, that's true, Taya. But most of them probably don't start with annoyance and adultery. Over with Luke and Morag, things are tense. Last night, me and Luke tried having our first serious conversation, Morag tells the camera. 
The action cuts to Luke to finish the story. We took the advice and started talking openly and it came straight back to the image issue from day one. We get a flashback to the awkward conversation on the bed where Morag told Luke he wasn't well turned out enough for her. And then it flashes back to the commitment ceremony where Morag says she needs a glass of wine before she can be intimate with Luke. Back in the now, solo Morag is lying in bed while her voiceover continues with details of the bust up. I tried telling Luke what turned me on and he got upset. Turned over in bed, didn't like what I had to say. We need to have these hard-hitting conversations, she tells the camera. A forlorn Luke is fiddling with his wedding ring on the couch. He admits that he is close to breaking point. Uh-oh. There's an ad break, and once we come back, we discover that yes, week is halfway done. What, already? We see Tadam working out, Frankie loading a dishwasher terribly, and Josh blowing a whistle at Amy as she works out on the roof. Morag is alone, sitting on her balcony, having a lonely cuppa. The narrator tells us that the couple haven't even thought about starting Yes Week after their earlier argument. We see Luke knocking on a door. He's calling into Adam for support, I thought. But no, it's Josh who answers the door. Hmm. Maybe the producers paired him with a quietly confident fellow like Josh in the hope that he might impart some muscular wisdom. The pair head upstairs to the roof where they are alone. Josh must have ordered Amy to run up and down the apartment stairs, Rocky style, to give him some space. Luke tells Josh, she went off my image again. What can I do? It sounds like a pathetic thing to even talk about, to be honest, says Josh. The camera pans back to Morag, who is still enjoying a reflective beverage. At this point, after saying that it is imperative that she tells Luke everything she finds unattractive about him so that he can change it and render himself more pleasing to her. I get it's not what he wants to hear, but he needs to know what turns me on, she says. He's not confident on the outside. It really pisses me off. Morag is basically like, why aren't you more confident, ugly? For his part, Luke tells the camera that he's getting tired of things. I deserve better right now, he says. You said it, friend. Given the precarious state of Bob and Megan's relationship, they are excused from the unwieldy power games of Yes Week and allowed to just chill and rebuild their broken relationship. They decide that they need some fun and so they head off to the pier because nothing says fun like Brighton Beach and tenderly weather. Bob is dressed for the Balearics, not Brighton. And you can see that no one else is wearing shorts at this time of year. And Megan is wearing a denim one piece with a pattern I can only describe as 70s. Fashion wise, Bob and Megan are a loud match. They take a turn on the bumper cars and play fairground games. Uh, Meg wins a sloth and a teddy, a sloth teddy. They get a bag of mini donuts to share on the pebbly beach. And they chat about how much fun they've had. Meg tells the camera that today has been the best day since their wedding day. She is positively effusive. She even asks Bob for a hug. She tells the camera that the pair are closer to a relationship than ever because she needed a solid friendship first. Okay, Meg. Next, we catch up with Alexis and Ant who are sitting in a cafe awaiting the arrival of an expert. The pair plan to make a case for why they should be allowed to continue in the experiment. Together. Alexis is dressed in a lovely red business suit while Ant is super cash, rocking up in the same Burberry print shirt he wore at the dinner party. Ever the gentleman, he acknowledges this disparity and jokes that he should have worn a shirt, trousers, a coat, the lot. The pair are nervous, but not too nervous not to flirt. Ant smiles more during this scene than in the previous eight episodes. Mel appears. She pretends to be curious about what's going on, even though, you know, she saw what we saw at the dinner party, and that flirt fest was hot. 
Mel tells the camera that this type of thing is rare, but not unheard of. We'll have to consider not only if the couple is compatible, but also the impact it will have on the others in the experiment. Alexis tells Mel that the pair have much in common and even share some quote-unquote sexual chemistry. Ant nods casually in agreement, but his face, fewer friends, starts turning pink and stays that way until the end of the scene. Mel, of course, digs it. She tells him that if they do re-enter the experiment, it won't be as a married couple, since they're not married, but as a dating one. Well, whatever, Mel, they're not even real marriages anyway. She said she needs to discuss it with the other experts and leaves the pair to do their flirting. This is a tricky one. Superficially, it seems like an obvious choice. Alexis and Ant seem like they would make a great couple and both were paired with, for want of a better word, duds. So the audience is rooting for them. However, allowing a couple who paired themselves essentially makes a mockery of the show's premise and reaffirms the most basic of truths. When it comes to matters of love, there is no scientific formula or algorithm that can reliably identify the one. In fact, it seems like the experts this year couldn't predict five o'clock at 4.50, but whatever. Back in the apartments, Amy has had quite enough of Josh being bossy and decides to cancel Yes Week. She plans an activity for the couple and it involves a witchy looking woman with a picnic basket. Turns out she's a spiritualist and is here to unblock the couple's emotional chakras. Josh tells the camera he isn't spiritual at all and doesn't believe in any of this claptrap. Have you saged him before? asks the spiritualist. I tried, Amy says, but he wasn't having any of it. There are coloured stones and sage and the spiritualist starts moving her hands over a prostate Josh. Josh, who is lying on the sofa with his eyes covered, starts laughing. When she takes out her tarot deck and earnestly explains the meaning of the cards, Josh laughs and rolls his eyes. She holds up the card and says solemnly, this could be divorce. More eye rolling. Morag hits upon another strategy to see Luke in his undies. Morag is slowly turning into Benny Hill. She says she knows that she needs to make him feel appreciated, so she orders him an enormous Chinese takeout meal. Because nothing presages a night of erotic fun like a belly full of spice bag. Luke may have gotten worn down by me telling him I normally like, what my normal type is, you know, what normally turns me on, she tells the camera. However, we need to have another discussion about how we handle these hard-hitting conversations that we need to have. Morag tells Luke that she's trying to take on the expert's advice about being more open, but his responses make it difficult. He tells her to imagine it from his side. He really likes her, but is constantly hearing, you're not my type, you don't turn me on, and it breaks his heart. What else can I do? I'm changing my image. I'm back in the gym. I don't feel like you're sure about yourself at all. You get changed in the other room behind doors so I can't see you, says Morag, with not one trace of self-awareness. Maybe he's too scared to reveal his body to you because it's just more of him for you to find disappointing. I usually prefer outy belly buttons, Luke, so here's a plunger. Get cracking. Of course, Luke points out the obvious to her. If someone tells you they don't fancy you, it doesn't make you feel like stripping off and doing the macarena on the table. Yeah, but how am I supposed to fancy you if I don't see you, Luke? She's basically saying, give me a look at your body before I decide whether I like it or not. I wonder if she's going to score him out of 10. Luke tells her that if he gives 100% effort and she continues on the way that she's been going, then that will fucking kill him. I think we can safely call time on this relationship. Even a couple together years and years couldn't resolve this issue, so I doubt a pair that have known each other, you know, roughly a fortnight can.
After the ad break, the action, if you can call it that, returns to Frankenmar. I noticed in this episode that he keeps wearing clothes with the same bull's head logo on them. In the last Australian season, one of the participants, uh, Sam, used the show as an opportunity to plug the life out of his clothing line. I wonder if that's what Frankie is doing here. Anyway, it's time for Frankie to cook dinner. Some comedic background music is played over the entirety of this scene, just so we can, what, get a picture of Frankie as a comedically useless husband? Mar tells the camera it's important that he knows how to cook, since her expectation is that they will be sharing such domestic chores. Hmm. Didn't the expert say that she wanted her marriage to conform to traditional gender roles at the start? I presume that this would include housework or whatever. We're shown a flashback to the commitment ceremony, and the narrator reminds us that the experts were concerned about the power dynamics in the couple's relationship. Back in the present, Frankie tells us that he doesn't care what the experts have to say, he only cares what Marilise has to say. She tells him she wants him to wear an apron. No, he flatly refuses. This man is just minus crack. Back with Lorag, Luke tells the camera that he wants Morag to celebrate him for who he is, because he's not changing who he is. He tells Morag that a bit of reassurance or confidence building from her would go a long way. I know I don't pay you a million compliments, Morag says, clutching a glass jar filled with paper. But whenever you're in doubt, you can go into this jar and pull out a message of appreciation. Luke is happy. He pulls one out. It says, you are enough. You are enough, says Morag. And I know that I bang on about appearances, but I need to realise that's superficial stuff. And what matters is how you treat me, which is awesome. Then Morag reminds him that it's still yes week and Mama Morag's got one more request. She disappears into another room and reappears with a fireman stripper costume. Get on that pole and get ready to jiggle your jelly, fireman Luke, because it's showtime. Back in Frankenmars, the couple are about to sit down with a glass of onion-scented wine and a meal flavoured with resentment. Be honest with me, I have to learn, he says. She takes a bite and acts immediately like, you know, the way a parent does when their kid hands them something gross or stupid or talentless. Oh my god, it's lovely, absolutely lovely, incredible. Marks out of ten, he asks, eager to have his suspicion that he is actually amazing at cooking confirmed. 9.5 but only because you forgot the parmesan. Mar, this man is confident enough as it is. Like, can they loan Marilise out to Luke for a few self-esteem building workshops? Back with Lorag, Fireman Luke reports for duty. Morag cackles like her own hen party before shouting, Alexa, play another level, freak me. Luke wiggles and jiggles and peels away bits of his clothing as Morag screams, take it off! And there is much good-natured laughter on all sides. Morag tells the camera that she's happy and that she genuinely fancies Luke and that she can't wait for the camera crew to fuck off so the pair can enjoy the rest of the night. The last scene is Luke in his scanties carrying Morag into the bedroom, flinging her on the bed and closing the door behind him. And that's that for an interesting but not amazing episode of Maths. I am far more intrigued by the clip for tomorrow, that's Wednesday's episode, because it looks like there's another dinner party. Already. And you know what dinner means drama. It looks like this trouble in paradise for Tatum and Josh, well, for Tatum and for Josh and Amy, while everyone else has their minds blown by the new old couple. Ooh, viewer friends, I cannot wait. See you then. Let me hear your thoughts. Get in touch with us on Twitter at Adventures in TV too, or you can email me 
on Adventures in TV, TV spelled T-E-E-V-E-E, at gmail.com. And you can find us on all the other places, Instagram, Facebook and everything, at Be Unkind Rewind. See you then, viewer friends. <laughs>